1: I'm still here, <laughs> I guess some of you may be wondering, September was a little lean, I think we only had one episode in September, and I apologize for that, uh, it's been a very busy September, uh, in fact the last week we were actually running an excavator all week on the farm here, trying to do some earthworks prior to the fall rains coming, so taking advantage of that, uh, but we're back and we have um, a, good ep- a good episode, a good interview lined up tonight. I've got several other interviews in the can that we'll be ready to do and, of course, ready to put some others in the schedule as well. So a couple little housekeeping things real quick. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank our Patreon supporters. Picked up several more in September and I appreciate you guys uh, partnering with us here and, and helping us uh, move the the podcast forward with some additional features and, and just, you know, really help. It's like a digital tip jar, and I really appreciate that. That it kind of shows that you guys appreciate what we're doing here. And um, as I feel, sometimes we're broadcasting into the abyss. It gives me that good feedback, uh, encourages me to keep going. Um, along those same lines, uh, this episode tonight will be the last episode that I have using some of our older technology, some of the things that uh, since covid Working from the home office and the price I pay to live in paradise here, we have horrible, horrible landline service and uh, inability to have cell service, all that type of stuff. Internet, can't do voice over IP, can't do anything like that. So, uh, unfortunately, JB's interview is is going to sound like the last several months of podcasts, a little scratchy, a little bit of feedback, but... Moving forwards, the additional uh, interviews I have in the can now, uh, I think you'll really be uh, happier with the quality as it improves. So um, that's a commitment I'm going to make to you all that um, some of the additional things that requires me to travel out to do these interviews uh, until Elon Musk gets Starlink in my hands. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do anything else other than that, but... Uh, But we'll travel out and schedule these interviews appropriately so I can do them while I'm out and have better connectivity. So uh, I think you all will appreciate that better quality there. Without any further ado, I'm going to tee up our interview here. And our interview this uh, week is with J.B. Brown. And J.B.'s with Fredericktown Homestead um, up in Fredericktown, Ohio, not Fredericktown, Maryland. And he's in the heart of Amish country. And J.B.'s actually, he's got a unique story at this time he's not actually raising pigs on pasture but he has a, a pretty good history in that area in fact uh, he goes back to the early 70s with doing pastured pigs so he has some really good input but i really like jb's story and his approach um, so i think we'll be able to i'll be able to glean some insight from from what he has what he has to say and just enjoy some of his some of his old stories now, there is something here that rubs against uh, it's this whole recording things in the can and then you know, scheduling them to, to roll out. So when talking to JB, he was in this interview, you'll hear him extend an invitation to a family to come kind of co-op with him on this homestead. And so uh, some of the language we use, some of the things we're discussing, it's kind of a call to action. Hey, if you know anybody that's interested, give him a call, do that kind of stuff. So in, in the time that we recorded this earlier in the summer, he actually has a family now on site that is taking advantage of that offer. So that, that offer is, uh, is not available, but it is kind of neat to still hear what he was, uh, what he was offering families to, to come do on this property that he manages. So that's the only little caveat there you know, you'll you'll hear me reference hey I'll make sure that there's a way to contact him all that type of stuff but uh there really is no need to do that right now cuz he has indeed filled that slot. And also I think we may talk about in this uh, interview that I'm I'm soon to travel to his farm and actually be able to see him in person and and uh, kind of see his setup. Well that actually happened shortly after the interview. I I uh, Kelly and I and the boys we we were actually up in the Columbus area and so I drove east to Fredericktown and, and spent an afternoon with uh, JB and enjoyed uh, taking a tour with him on his property and and seeing what that's all about. And so if this is something that intrigues you, you can find it on our YouTube channel, Red Toolhouse Homestead, um, where we're talking about sharing, uh, sharing land, co-opting land. You'll see it there. And I'll also put a link to it in the uh, show notes below, so you can directly click to it if you want. Well, without further ado, let's get into his interview, and I'll catch you guys on the backside. of... Today I've got a uh, a different interview. I'm i been looking forward to this one for a while. Today we're talking with J.B. Brown of Fredericktown Homestead, and J.B. When you when you if you'd meet him on the street, you may think um, this guy's this guy's probably Amish, but uh, J.B. has got a really interesting story. He's one of those guys that if you had run into him on the street and you see him, um, I, I think of the the story I heard here recently. I've I, if you see a guy like J.B. sitting around to eating an apple with a kn- pocket knife and he's going to give some wisdom, you're going to want to stop and listen to it because he knows what he's talking about. So so thanks, J.B., for coming on. Thanks for letting me have a little fun with you here in the intro. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome to the
2: Frederick Count Homestead.
1: All right. All right. So. Uh, JB's uh, Fredericktown homestead is in Fredericktown, Ohio, and as we mentioned, it's in the is the heart of Amish country. But JB is actually not Amish. Is that correct? That's right.
2: I'm not Amish,
1: and I never will
0: be.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he he's uh, deep in the heart of that community, and and uh, is is plugged in well with them. So he's going to share some stories with us. So, JB, first of all, let's talk about the homestead a little bit. Can you give us an overview of um, of the Frederictown homestead and what it's comprised of as far as layout and the animals you have and, and what you're doing right now?
2: Well, to start off, I'll say that I've been a failure here at the homestead in my goals. But um, let me describe it. It's a huge farm. It's over a square mile, 170 no, 746. It's such a big number, I have a hard time with it. 746 acres, one square mile, it encompasses, but 150 of that is leased out to tillage.
0: The agreement I have
2: with the landowner is that I can use any of the land that's not out to tillage as long as I improve it. It's got to be uh, better when I finish with it than when I started. This is uh, my idea, this is kind of the way I look at things. Um, so I've got infinite amount of land to use here, I've got more land than anybody I watch, or even more land than you Troy. Um, <laughs> uh, I've, got, I've got what you've got seven times over.
1: Yeah, um, yeah and your, land's, your land's flat so you get to use a lot more of it too. So. <laughs>
2: And my land is flat, and I've got um, one of my dreams is a pond site here. We do have water that runs through. Um, That was one of my dreams that didn't come to fruition. Um, My idea here on the homestead was that a a family, a couple, or just the right individual would come and live here and um, learn from me and from doing, um, not necessarily in that order, how to do pastured pigs, how to do pastured poultry, how to do dairy, how to raise oxen, um, waterfowl, um, and a massive garden. When I go to the gardens, I've the Amish plow them and cultivate them, and then I, w- I have a rotator killer, to a Troy-Done-Rotator
1: killer. Did you make that, Troy? Uh, no, not, not those. I'd love to claim that. That'd be great, wouldn't it?
2: Uh, they're the best rotillers made. And so I uh, planted cover crop. The first part of the crop was uh, radishes and turnips that just finished off blossoming. The next one to come into uh, blossom will be the buckwheat. And then after that I just planted uh, one part of the garden to uh, wildflowers and sunflowers and all kinds of flowering plants. And um, I have a massive space here for gardening. It's uh, well more than an acre of um, garden space if somebody wanted to garden here. And we also have a great market here because we're right in the middle of Amish country and the Amish sells the the English quite a bit and we have a market three times a week this time of year into the end of harvest. And we think we're welcome to take stuff there and sell it the market to the English. A lot of restaurants come to that um, an auction three times a week. And um, so we have a massive market. Yeah. So I went on YouTube. I went on YouTube and I um, told everybody what I knew, what I've got here, looking for somebody to come and... Uh, because, well, I had a couple here for three months. We put, uh, the house had no glass in it and no doors and no plumbing. Well, I have plumbing, but no water, no hot water. The hot water heater has been dismantled, uh, no heat. But uh, we have all that now. We have the windows, we have floors and two of the bedrooms. All the windows are in, all the doors are in. It's comfortable to live in. Um, they, they did all that work in return for rent. So they didn't pay any rent when they were here, and I didn't pay any rent when they were here. Uh, the rent's $500 a month, and I pay my half. But um, all the time they were here, and actually until May, they left in the February, and they paid our rent up until May with the work they did. Um, and that's uh, that opportunity is open again to anybody who wants to come here at Homestead. So we got garden space lots of garden space. We got lawns that could be used for portable pasture for poultry. And then we've got woods with acorns and an old apple orchard for uh, portable uh, pig pasture, pastured pigs. Um, ask me about my history of pigs. I'd be anxious to tell you about my yeah,
1: I, I I do I do want to do that, and I'm I'm definitely going to do that. That's going to be the core of our conversation. But I do want one. I want to ask you one question about what you just said there about this land. So I want to make sure that I'm okay. fully understands. <clears throat> excuse me. So you have you have access to to all of this land, this 700 plus acres, and right now you are currently. Goodness, excuse me. <clears throat> right now you are currently set up to uh, to house an additional family to come in. To homestead To to raise crop To raise animal To do all that type of stuff In this configuration And they Those individuals I guess would have Their own dwelling It sounds like it's been Partially remodeled Right now Is, is that correct?
2: Well partially I live in a house In one room And I'm not here A lot of the time Because I hold the Amish, And um, I'm gone Like for instance The whole month of July I'm going to Wyoming And the Outer Banks um, But I'm, I'm going a lot and they have the house and the farm as their own most of the time. But when I'm home, I live in my one room. And um, I put a lot of my income into the homestead. But do live in the house and treat it as their own. Um, even though I'm not here, I pay my half of the rent. I pay the utilities. We have 5G uh, here. we well, unlike your homestead where you have to go up on the hill to get close over Right. 5G, which is amazing. Yeah. Need oh. Wi-Fi because you can just <laughs> take your phone or whatever, laptop, and you've got faster internet than if you lived in the city.
1: Well, oh, that's great. Well, um, oh, cool. So, so it sounds like. So, I71. It's
2: on. It's born of I71, and the federal government has put up three towers on the property, which uh, give us this great cell coverage.
1: Yeah. Okay. So 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 you, uh, so if I heard you correctly, you say you're doing a lot of transport of the Amish to their different jobs or the different situations there, so that has you on the road quite a bit. So uh, this cohabitation thing could work out pretty well for a family coming in because you're going to be the guy that shows up every once in a while, kind of hangs out in his own area type of thing, but obviously has all of this experience in farming to share. Uh, so it's kind of like this uh, live-in uh, tutor uh, when it comes to homesteading.
2: Exactly, yeah. Cool. All right.
1: Well, what we'll do is when we get to the end, we'll we'll throw out some information. If people listening want to explore that more, then we'll leave some contact information on how you can get a hold of JB and and talk about that. I assume he has a a vetting process, of course, to protect the land and his situation as well. Uh, But that's something that can be explored directly with him. So let's segue over to to pigs. And uh, I can say, I've had some uh, fun conversations back and forth with JB on email. And, um, and I liked it. I, I, I got to give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a ribbing here, JB. At one point, you you commented that you've been pasturing pigs longer than I've been alive. Now I don't know if you're aware. I'm I'm 48 years old. So that that would make you that would make you pretty old, dude. If you've been pasturing pigs for the last 48 years. So, <laughs> but let's let's talk about your pig situation. What what's your what's your history with pigs? Well, I came back to this country
2: after a world tour in 1976. And I lived with a man, Archie Moore, born in 1896. And I learned my farming techniques from him. So the first year I had pigs was the first year that I was back in the country. That was 76.
1: Okay, that's close. I was born in 73, so <laughs> you, you almost were on it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and um, the way Archie raised pigs was he had a, a little shed with a concrete slab, and he figured it held two pigs, and you brought feeder pigs, and you raised them on this pet slab, and you cleaned that out twice, or three times, actually. You cleaned it out when you started. You cleaned it out halfway through the pig's life when they got to be about 100 to 120 pounds, and then you cleaned it out again when you're done. Um, and when pigs weren't in there, that was a hen house. Um It was a terrible way to raise pigs. I did it, I did it, I raised one set of two pigs in there raised some nice hogs, because we had milk, uh, we milked, and so we had milk, and we had um, yogurt he showed me how to make yogurt from the milk um, easily, just by leaving it out in the sunshine and um, (laughs) and, uh, so those pigs were delicious Um, by the time the next spring rolled around I was working at the cemetery and uh, I uh, was raking leaves in the spring, raking up last year's rotten dead leaves except for off the cemetery in preparation for the mowing season. And uh, I built a stockade fence for my pigs and I bought two pigs, Girock, cows, um, from another man that was born in the eighteen eighties. Uh, and, um, so I had these two houses and, uh, a stockade. And at lunchtime, i bring home my pickup truck full of leaves, and I'd put it into the stockade where the pigs were. And, uh, the fence was about about eye level, about five feet maybe. And, um, I kept putting leaves in, putting leaves in. I didn't have any uh, shelter in there to start with. I just let them burrow into the leaves, and then every once in a while I go out there with my dipper. Uh, Archie always kept crack corn for his pigeons and for his chickens, and so I go out there with crack corn and I just broadcast it over the leaves. And um, those two pigs, they, uh, they rooted up all that leaves and compressed it. And they, I was able to bring home two pickup trucks loads many days, one every day, and uh, for the whole rake, r- leaf raking season. We, we rake leaves until tomorrow night. And um, so those pigs. And then um, I got to talking to my friend that owned the sawmill, He had the Durrock, and uh, he said, You know, J.B., I'm getting old, and I'm probably going to quit. This is a position you might want to take up. And uh, uh, you breed your two sows, and um, and away you go. And um, so the next spring... I got a, uh, a Durrock, not from him, from somebody else, up country, up in northern New Hampshire. This is all in New Hampshire. And, um, I got a Durrock for work, bring him up, uh, kept him friendly, and, uh, I was, it was Archie for five years, six years, six years total. And, um, in those six years, the pigs lived mostly in the stockade, except for Horace. Morris lived in the barn, separate. And, um, I bred on my birthday, and I, uh, trained Horace to get in and out of the pig box on the back of the truck, and Horace would go off to other farms and leave their photos, always for picking the litter. Uh, one thing Archie taught me was that, uh, Money is probably the worst motivator for uh, doing anything. If you're <laughs> doing things for money,
0: uh, you got your hand on the wrong stick. Wow. Well, yeah. I used to
2: say. Yeah. Um, so uh, I always I, I would uh, read any cow for picking the litter, and then I would also nut pigs. Well, not all pigs in a litter for picking the litter. So if you have four boars, I'll let them all, if you want, or so pick a winner. Or if you just have one, it's going to cost you uh, one pig for me to back up that one. And uh, I thought that worked real well for me, because my market for my pigs, um, all during those five years, was Buzzy uh, Call who did... Uh, here at barbecues. He, he uh, had
0: an oil drum wheels that he cooked up them. Pigs on a spit. He was
2: looking for sometimes as little as 80 pounds but most often 100 to 125 pounds. Pigs. Small pigs. And i had a lot of small pigs and, and uh, if I provided the pigs and helped with the barbecue, I got to eat some of it. And uh that was delicious. Um, That's the way most of my things were working in those days. Um, Very rarely did I uh, sell for money. Well, I was going to the auction every Monday during that time. Uh, Cliff Beasley had a truck, and he was getting old. He was born in the 80s, 1880s. And uh, he had a straight truck with a cattle body on it with a grandma's attic over the cab. And uh, we drive the 70 miles up to a separate auction and uh, pick up critters on the way, buy critters at the auction for people, and then come back home Monday night into Tuesday morning and uh, deliver those uh, animals. So if I had extra pigs, I could just put them on the wagon. And um, like if it was a rainy day, and uh, there wouldn't be many buyers there. Uh, I didn't put my pigs on, but if it was a beautiful sunny day, but hay wasn't quite ready. Then uh, I put my pigs on. I, I kind of judged my audience as to when I'd put my pigs on the truck. And um, in those days I could sometimes get $45 for one pig. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, was, I thought I was a rich man right. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I did that for the five years. And then I got married, and moved one town north to Bradford. And um, we had a 36-acre farm. We raised mainly rocks and stones and uh, (laughs) a lot of harvesting and waiting for the price to go up. We were stockpiling our product, uh, waiting for the price to go up. It seemed like you could pick stones out of any field. Every year, and there would always be another crop next year.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've been to New Hampshire. I've seen that personally. That's a little stony in there.
2: <laughs> but uh, my pig operation changed drastically when I got married. I was pretty well known by now for um, having small pigs, having spring piglets for feeders. I had quite a few because of Morris's work and because of my work in and money. Uh, and so... And I would usually land to a deal with something other than coal hard cash for the kings. And people seemed to like that. Um, I was a rich man because I wasn't dealing with money. And uh, so when I moved up to Bradford, we had 36 acres all surrounded by stone walls as New Hampshire farms are. And that first year, I went around with a hammer grill, and three quarter inch, at four rebar, which is half-inch rebar. I went around the perimeter of the farm, and with a hammer grill, drilled holes and put rebar in, put insulators in. So that uh,
0: wire that went around the perimeter was about chest height. Oh,
2: wow. um, not to keep the critters in, but to have a live line all the way around the perimeter. And uh, we had a well at the high point of the land. And I dug a little pond, put a tank in the pond,
0: actually.
2: Uh, I lined it, actually, with uh, plastic. And uh, that kept water pretty well. And the water would siphon into that pond. And then the water, I got that tubing from somebody that uh, was getting out of, or changing their tubing. We had quarter-inch tubing enough to reach anywhere on our farm several times over. And, um, so I got my pigs, my first, I always breed on my birthday, so my pigs are born early spring. And, um, my birthday is December 2nd, so you breed the first week in December. And, uh, that gives you early pigs. And, uh about the time they're ready to start adventure and start going out on the pasture, the pasture's about ready for them in New Hampshire. And they really help with the harvest of stones and rocks. Um, they're very good at uh, detecting where stones are and bringing them to the surface. Yeah. And, uh, and the way I fed them was uh, I had a, a half of a tractor trailer load of that's the peas like you eat and dried and uh, I'd soak those peas and I'd take out my bucket five gallon pail of peas and I'd also take out my little camel soup can full of pasture mix and I'd make tomorrow's run and I'd feed them where they are uh, I, well I'd move them first into tomorrow's run and uh then I set up tomorrow's run, the, the next day's run, and uh, single wire, rebar on, uh, with yellow insulators, screw-on insulators, and I put that right at the middle of my shin, depending on how tall the little figures were. But it really didn't matter if the little figures got out. Marl was the one you had to Right, right. And I, I judge it by her nose level. I kind of like to try and keep it just below her nose level. And, um, one wire around it, and the pigs, the little pigs eventually learned pretty quickly, actually. I had, my, my fence was 15 joules by the way. It was a plug-in main charger. Back then we didn't have Premiere. The word Google hadn't been used, or Internet hadn't been used. There was no computers, no cell phones. But, um, We had Gallagher Fence. That was the first electric fence company. Yeah. And and I became a a representative for them, and I would go and show people what they could do with their
1: Gallagher Fence, which is pretty close to what Premier One is today. Yeah. So let me let me stop. um, Let me stop you there, if you don't mind, JB. Let 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 give you a chance to take a deep breath, because I I, want to ask you and just kind of clarify a couple things there. So. so, Okay. So what? What you're telling me here, that time frame, so this would be late 70s, early 80s? Is that what you're talking about?
2: I moved to the Bradford farm when I started pasture pigs in '80.
1: Okay. Okay, so here in 1980, you are doing a daily rotation of, of hogs with electric fence in 1980. That's correct? Yep. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I mean, I, I, I was a
2: pioneer in that. So there wasn't a lot of people doing
1: that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, that's um, if I understand my history, that was kind of somewhat of a European model that really was not embraced at all here in the in the states at that time. So that's that's fantastic. So so you've you've uh, I love the idea of the stone walls with drilling the rebar in to to provide a um, I guess we call that a backbone fence now. So you have your your hot lead all the way around the property. So then you could just pigtail off of that for your individual paddocks. And so, so it sounds like uh, peas and in a pasture mix that you were feeding out and using those to uh, obviously uh, move the pigs from point A to point B because they're obviously going to come to the feed. So each day you'd rotate them at feed time. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so uh, I'm sorry, I just wanted to, to clarify some of that. So uh, carry on if you don't mind. So how, how did that process work and how long did you do that?
2: I kept the same breed of pigs all the way from those uh, second set of pigs that I got at Archie's down in, Bre- in Henneker. That was in 76, 70, 77, was my second set of uh, pigs. And I bred those, and I kept that strain through until 86. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, as long as I was on the farm. Um, uh, sorry, 96, 96. Oh, wow, okay. I, I kept them until 96. And um, because I was going to the auction all the time, I was able to bring home fresh jeans from the auction for my board. And uh, at that time in New Hampshire, we had uh, a limited amount of Berkshire, um, a limited amount of Durrock, and the majority, of course, were, uh, you work in land race, so my pigs were a mixture of all of those. Yeah, um, I got a lot of spotted pigs. If you mix a uh, um, Jurok with uh, a lot of things, you'll end up with a spotted, pig. so mm-hmm. I ended up with a lot of spots.
0: Yeah,
1: well, let me ask you a question about so, so going to the auction, so again, this is this is kind of a generational thing. So you now going to the auction on a regular basis for livestock is, is considered taboo simply because of poor genetics and disease and all that. Did, did you run into any of that then? Did you have issues with inferior pigs or was it just not an issue up there?
2: Um, I did have one bout of life. I brought home a pig that had life and I threw him in with everybody else and moved him worked, but I got him probably, I'm guessing the end of June, I got that pair from the auction, and uh, it was a male, and um, I can keep them in there until they become uh, old enough that i got to separate them off for uh, breeding, but uh, he had lice, and he spares lice to the rest of the, the, rest of the herd of pigs, and I moved them every day. And by the end of July, the the heat of the summer, they were all cleaned up. They were all good as go. Um, And all I really did was moving them, um, getting them off of that land that they were on um, daily. This was when I was pretty seasoned when this happened, actually. I'd been doing this probably for four or five years at that point. In one year, I could go right around my 36 acres. And get everything that I could get tap tubing to. Uh, my watering system I thought was genius. I uh, had constant flow of water at quarter inch diameter, with perhaps uh, seven hundred yards of friction loss over a court in a quarter inch line. So it wasn't flowing real fast, but it was flowing. Yeah. And uh, I put that up on a post. Out of reach of the pigs and uh, on the edge of the pen, the upper side, and uh, for the 24 hours that they were in that location, they'd have water right there, and that helped them to detect and harvest.
1: Yeah, that, that's great when gravity can help you out there, and you've got the opportunity to plumb the pasture, that's uh, that's a pretty slick setup. I look at your land
2: and all the gravity you got on your pasture, uh, your land, and think you must be able to fetch water from up home, and get some small diameter or two in and have constant running water to your pigs. I always think of that when I see your land your
0: land
1: yeah yeah gravity is definitely present at our place we we experience a lot of that on a regular basis (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we we do have you're right we have copious amounts of water coming out of the side of the mountain and uh, currently with my pasture configurations they have access to a spring or a wallow in every single paddock so it's it's one of those things where currently uh, as i expand then we'll we'll have to start doing some additional plumbing but currently on the five acres they're on there's I don't even have to transport water because it, it just comes out of the side of the hill.
2: The difference from what I do it, what I did and what you do is um, I was moving them daily in an area that was just the size they needed for a day. Mm-hmm. You're, you're moving them, what, monthly or?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a, a broader window there. And, I...
2: and uh, less labor intensive maybe. But... Uh too, uh, but I would always spread my pasture mix out on tomorrow's paddock. When I set up the wire for tomorrow, I would spread out my pasture mix on tomorrow's, so the pigs were on that for a day, and they might have eaten a few of them seeds, but mostly what they did was just plant them all. They uh, would root around and uh, plant all that seed, and there was a large part of clover in that if you've ever seen a pig on clover? That's, uh, that's a worthy phrase, pig on clover. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I love it.
1: Yes, indeed. Well, good deal. So so you were at that farm for, uh, well, it sounds like up until 96. Uh, how, how much yeah. longer were you there, and, and then the transition, and, and why the transition?
2: Well, I lost my hearing in uh, 94. I became deaf. I was working for the fire service at that point and became deaf. And, uh, with the deafness, I lost my family and the farm and, uh, life as I knew it pretty much went down the tubes when mm. I couldn't hear. that no. um, uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world now. I mean, it seemed to be God's doing. He had plans for me, but, uh, I've done a lot of things since that, but uh, that's what got me out of my Break Farm. Uh, when I lost my hearing, my wife grew sick of me. I grew sick of people. I was very hard to deal with, I'm sure. And um, nobody wanted to be around me, and um, so I lost the farm mm-hmm. and my, my one boy.
1: So obviously you've gotten your hearing back, so was it cochlear implants? Was it just some additional technology? What what was able to, to get you back to hearing?
2: I went with hearing aids for several years, well most of that time between then and now, and then just the first week of the viral, I was given the surgery for the implant, hmm. and now I can score 99% on the word comprehension test. Wow. Uh, I, uh, I can hear better than you can.
1: Yeah, probably so. Goodness,
2: <laughs> and, uh, it's quite the technology, but it's high end. It's hundred thousand um, dollar implant. Uh, I only got it because I turned old. Once you get to be old, they will give you such things. <laughs> and uh, I'm now considered old, so I get it. Very good. It's it's. Just a, it's a mixed blessing to able to hear again. Um, I went for a lot of years without hearing, but uh, I can turn it
1: off whenever I want to. <laughs> See, my wife says I have selective hearing at times. <laughs> All right, very good. So, um, so it sounds like, so coming back full circle, so you, um, 90, in the mid to late 90s, uh, moving out of New Hampshire, uh, hearing loss, that type of stuff. Were you always involved between the mid-90s till, uh, till just last year in some sort of farming? Or did, did your career kind of move you around in different places? How, how did that work?
2: It was, it was sporadic. Um, I'm known as J.B. the milker on uh, the internet. I uh, milked cows for two years, 104 cows. Hmm. And then I did, did uh, I was a shepherd for a year. Uh, with uh, ditch irrigation. That's a that, that thrill and a half. And, um, and I drove truck. I drove 1.3 million miles in my own truck and about 700,000 in a company truck wow. for my second wife. Um, but then uh, when I got off the road, I got back into agriculture and I ran a big operation where I had 12 pigs at all times year-round um, at the mission. I uh, raised 12 pigs year-round. We slaughtered two every month. We got two new piglets donated to us every month. And uh, I was feeding 72 people three times a day with my gardens and my pigs and my steers and my sheep at the mission. And uh, I kind of was the agricultural guy at the mission. And I took care of the pigs, and uh, took care of all the livestock and all the dogs. The when I fed my pigs at the mission, I wasn't allowed to uh, pasture them at all there. They were confined. But I confined them on a fairly large rock, probably 100 on a side, a square, uh, on a slope, And I went around to the different, well, I didn't, the mission, and went around and collected up all the baked goods from yesterday and Pizza Hut has a training center in Hagerstown, Maryland and they train people to make pizza and all those pizzas are just waste once they're done. Wow. Um, So uh, I was feeding them on pizza
1: and bread. That was their main diet was pizza and bread. Um, That sounds like my four years in college right there actually. (laughs)
2: I was there for six years on that farm. Yeah. And uh, keeping 12 pigs all the time and uh, slaughtering two. Because we were a mission, we were allowed to butcher our own pigs. uh, uh, The authorities didn't come in and hassle us because we were only feeding the people at the mission.
1: Right. So, is this like a homeless uh, rescue mission type situation?
2: Yes. Yeah. there are people addicted to drugs and alcohol and we gave them the Bible as a
1: remedy. And that was in Hagerstown?
2: Hagerstown, yeah.
1: Yeah, I believe that mission is linked to one of the missions that I work with here in West Virginia because our mission in West Virginia started in 1911 and it planted 40 missions across the country and I believe Hagerstown was one of
2: them. It might well be.
1: Yeah, very cool. I
2: I taught the boys how to butcher, uh, how to cut up their pigs. Um, The way I cut up a pig now that YouTube is around I realize is uh, not the way it's done but <laughs> it's the way I do it, it's the way they actually taught me to do it right. the old-fashioned way, the way you do it when you don't have a sawzall and you don't have meat, uh, meat, all the modern conveniences and um, it's pretty much a route of like water flows downhill you just take the easiest route all the way through the pig and uh, you don't need a Power saw or anything like that to cut up a pig. And that worked well at the at our mission because we didn't have a lot of tools. Everything was donated.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, we just did it with hand tools, just sharp knives and a handsaw, blow saw. Yeah, very good. Uh, I taught all the boys there, well, not all the boys, but whoever was interested got a chance to uh, do up pigs. Because I was doing it every, once a month, I was doing two pigs.
1: Yeah, well, that's great. I love that idea. That's something that we're actually trying to implement at the mission here, and we have a, a tons of land. We just have very uh, unusable land, and we, we're trying to find the resources to to get somebody to do that, to, to raise them and have that daily contact, but that's that's fantastic. I love the idea of a rescue mission. We
2: need you find somebody who will donate the frigate,
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's not the problem. The piglets, the chickens, we, uh, we've got that covered all day long. The, the, the problem is the, the daily contact and the, the daily um, um, husbandry needs there. And the land that we have is extremely rural and extremely rugged to get to. So there's the issues of theft and the issues of just breaking I, equipment and getting to it.
2: I noticed that when I left the program didn't continue. Um, it took somebody with energy somebody with an ambition to raise pigs to do the thing yeah. um i don't know yeah. that might be a hard thing to find If somebody that knows enough and is willing to work hard now it, it's not easy feeding pigs on bread and pizza food. right uh but uh, i did that for six years
1: yeah wow thank god bless you that that's a great setup and that's you know that's that's where missions need to get back to, uh, especially the ones dealing in addiction recovery and and uh, you know, uh, homelessness and in food distribution because the the free food sources are just drying up. So the more missions can, can become self reliant and raise their own protein at least, then the, the better chance they have of surviving these uh, these weird times we're in.
2: Yeah. I did it primarily for the money. I was paid five bucks every week. But.
1: All right, five and bucks a week.
2: I left there a rich man. Um, <laughs> I love it. All my food was taken care of, and I didn't pay rent, and uh, I had five bucks to do as I please. So I just stuffed in a sack and put it under my bed.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you were you you actually resided at the mission there, and and were kind of kind of a full time resident, uh, and and took care of the animal husbandry aspect.
2: You have to, in order to do things, you got to live there. You can't. Yeah. Live one
1: place and do pigs somewhere else. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm a little less Well of, I
2: wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't attempt that.
1: Yeah, that, that's you
2: have a, to live where the pigs are.
1: Yep, I agree. I agree. That that's the issue we run into is is gotta be close. I'm forty five minutes from where we were trying to do it for the mission and just makes it tough. So
2: yeah, are you gonna go over there every day and do it? that's that's hard. Yeah,
1: yeah, it it becomes very impractical at that point because the the money you're trying to save and raising your own meat you're burning up in gas and, and wear and tear on your right. equipment and all that type of stuff so it uh, it kind of defeats itself. And the
2: pigs don't go as well. If they're
1: not there all the time. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. no. uh, I agree. So JB, um, let's let's do this. Let's uh, before we wrap up, let's talk about. Um, Let's talk about where people can get a hold of you because you've, you've thrown out some you know, a lot of great information here. You've obviously talked about this opportunity to come to uh, the Fredericktown homestead and, and actually reside there to do some do some work and learn and, and to, to build a homestead. But then also just your your years of experience that if people want to get some information from you or pick your brain, how can people get a hold of you right now?
2: My email is jb, the milker. Milker at gmail.com. Yep. And I look at my email every day. It's always empty. Most drivers have an email. Um, <laughs> but uh, I that's, that's the primary way to uh, contact me. That kind of filters out the weeds. I don't want to give you my phone number sure. over the uh, Internet, but I will give you my phone number if you email me as a treat. Just
1: because you email me, I will give you my phone number and I'll talk to you. Yeah. So. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat. Uh, we're gonna repeat that again because I don't like to put emails in my um, in my show notes simply because the little spam monsters can find them. So I'm gonna repeat that okay. again. So you guys, that's J B the Milker all run together. So J B T H E Milker uh, at gmail.com. So if you want to reach out to him, you can email him there, and then of course at that point he can send you additional contact information.
2: And our location is north of, Frederick, north of the Chesterville in the Fredericktown uh, Amish community. We're the fifth largest cohesive Amish community in the world yeah. with over 250 families. And um, if you come here, you'll be a part of the Amish community just by the fact that we live right in the heart of it. And um, all of our neighbors are Amish people that drive by, drive by at horse and buggies, And um, the facilities we have here for you to use are a fully operational shop. I have all the tools, and if you need another tool, I'll get it for you. We have limitless amounts of wood from the pallet shops. Uh, I had a big delivery yesterday. If you watch my YouTube channel, uh, Fidgetown Homestead, you, you can see all the wood. That uh, I have to deal with, and um, my way of thinking: everything that is here is a part of Fredericktown Homestead. It's not part of J.B. Brown. J.B. Brown is just here to make things work. I'll hold things together. I'll uh, I'll orchestrate. uh, I'll instruct. But uh, all the infrastructure that's here um, is all Fredericktown means it's yours if you come here to um you can make furniture you can make crafts you can whatever it is you want to do a big part of what i want to do is pasture poultry i want to do meat eggs and eggs uh, chickens ready to lay there's a big market here for chickens ready to lay yeah and uh, that would cut down drastically on the long really. yeah uh, it would
1: <laughs> Well, great. Wow
2: that's... contact me uh jbthemilker at gmail.com. Don't forget the P-H-E, Yeah. yeah. Jbthemilker, um, at gmail.com.
1: Yeah, and I will post a li- and I'll post a link to your YouTube channel in the uh, in the show notes so people can find that and, and I know there's ways that they can communicate directly with you from that process as well. So it sounds like a great opportunity. Well J.B., I can't let you go, of course, without asking you the question I ask everybody. So in your, goodness, 40-plus years of experience of raising pigs on pasture, what do you like the most about raising pigs?
2: My best memory of raising pigs on pasture was my first Morris, my first Moor pig. Him and I became pals. Uh, He was direct, red, and um, he was super intelligent, I raised him as a cosset, uh, like Mary had a little lamb, same deal. Yeah. I uh, fed him on a bottle, and that Boris Pig would go everywhere JB went. If I went to school, he went to school. When I went to the <laughs> diner, he went to the diner, and uh, he came into the woods with me when I chopped wood. And uh, Boris and I became fast friends. Um, that lasted for about twelve months. So he got so much testosterone in his system from breeding size that he lost his cuteness altogether, and uh, <laughs> he ended up up at the auction like all the uh, boars do. Yeah. But uh, that was my favorite memory was having a pig that was my companion. Um, people knew me for my pig, <laughs> and uh, when he, when people came in the yard, they'd meet Boris. And uh, yeah, Morris was probably my favorite, although we had a lot of cosset pigs over the years. Um, the word cosset comes from lambs, but I use it for pigs. A lot of my vocabulary is not correct according to YouTube. Um, I learned from Archie Morris, born in 1896, and I kind of use his vocabulary,
1: sure, um, sure.
2: but uh, yeah we raised plastic pigs we had a place under the stove where they lived until they got too big for that and uh, they became very friendly and raising friendly pigs was a a big part of uh pastured pigs and and for me that was and also eating pork uh eating I don't eat pork now because I don't have any that I raise Mm -hmm. and I I won't eat I know what people do to make things grow, and I don't want any part of it, but, uh, I was hoping that here at the Fender Town Homestead, we'd have, my dream was to have, like, a dozen pigs and pastoral feeders, and then keep two of them, breed them on my birthday, we have an excellent furrowing barn here, uh, somebody set up a furrowing barn, and, uh, we got water, winter water with a hydrant, and uh, the possibilities here are endless. Yeah. But uh, it takes
1: somebody here all the time. Great. Yep. Absolutely. Well, man, JB, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, um, I really enjoyed talking with you. I know we could talk for hours and and tell stories and and tall tales of of farming and those type of things, but I'm going to let you go and, and appreciate you coming on. And, uh, man, I pray you have a great week. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with JB. Uh, Again, you may have heard there, given his email address out, if you wanted to talk to him about uh, interested in coming on the property. Again, he has filled that slot, that space, so um, uh, maybe refrain from doing that. I wasn't going to go through and edit all that out uh, because there, there may be a time that comes up again. Um, and, and if so, we can obviously revisit that. Uh, I, I like what he's doing. I, I like his model as far as sharing that land and trying to, uh, use some of his expertise to pour into people that wanted to get started in farming. Now I will say JB, uh, is exactly as he sounds. He is, um, he's not afraid to say things as, as he sees them. He, uh, he doesn't pull any punches, and so the conversations I've had with him over the past several months have been have been very interesting and very entertaining. I, I enjoy that. There, there's a fresh, there's a um, refreshing element to that when you sit down and talk with somebody who doesn't mind to tell you exactly what he thinks. In fact, there's a funny story. As I went to see him, uh, I pull up um, to the farm. He's standing in the yard. I, I pull up, get out of the truck, close the door, and say, "Hey, how are you?" And the first thing he says is like, "Wow." you don't look nearly as fat as you do on TV. <laughs> so, I was like, there you go. That's how we'll start the conversation. <laughs> so, so yeah, I enjoyed the time with him. He's uh, he's definitely a uh, uh, persnickety fellow. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate everyone listening. Uh, appreciate again, the Patreon supporters. Uh, we'll be releasing another marketing episode for our Patreon uh, supporters here. Hopefully in the next several days. Uh, be part four of our series on marketing, how to market to our customers, how to find customers and market to them when you have zero budget. So we'll, uh, we'll have that posted soon. If you want to listen to that, uh, again, that's on the Patreon side. So just as little as $5 a month to give you access to all those uh, episodes. And we'll keep rolling them out as we can. Well, we appreciate everyone listening and pray you all have a great week. Take care.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig podcast. To learn more about our podcast, or to submit topics, or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.